Welcome to the Mind Design Sports Podcast. I'm Brandon, and in each episode, I'll be talking about sports psychology with the guest speaker. If you want to design your sports experience, you've come to the right place. If you want more tips and insights on how to improve your sports performance mentally, check out our website and other podcasts at mind-designsports.org. Cynthia Sass has helped millions of Americans fall in love with healthy food. Cynthia has appeared on The Today Show, Good Morning America, CBS, The Biggest Loser, and even Dr. Oz. Cynthia has been quoted as an expert in The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, USA Today, and a lot more notable magazines. She's also a three-time New York Times best-selling author and is currently the contributing nutrition editor at the well-known Health Magazine. She currently consults for the UCLA's Executive Health Program and maintains a private practice specializing in high-performance nutrition. She has counseled Grammy, Emmy, and Oscar winners, and even professional athletes in many sports. Thanks for being here, Cynthia, and I'm glad you're here. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. Tell us about your time as a former nutritionist for the MLB, NBA, and NHL generally. So I've consulted for three teams in the MLB and one in the NBA and one in the NHL. So my time consulting for those teams generally included a wide variety of um, consulting work, including helping the players individually with specific goals that they may have, whether it's nutrition related, performance related, recovery related or injury related nutrition goals, and then also working with the organization as a whole in terms of what they feed the athletes before games, after games, when traveling, etc., and then helping to consult on things like hydration, um, supplements, um, various uh, performance-related products. So it was really nice to work with other performance staff as far as physical therapists and strength coaches and sports psychologists, actually. Um, in addition to working with the players themselves and even sometimes the players' family members who were working to support them, nutritionally speaking, whether it be being in charge of shopping for or cooking foods that the athletes would be eating, um, perhaps when they were at home or even sometimes when they're on the road. And I would also sometimes collaborate with the athlete chefs if they had a personal chef that they um, utilized at home to help them meet their nutrition goals. Interesting. Did you see the same problems in different athletes in different sports, maybe like the NBA versus the NHL? Actually, there were a lot of similarities. I will say that MLB is a little bit different in that it's such a grueling schedule. I mean, they just have game after game after game without many off days. And, you know, they play many more games during a season than other sports do. So that that presented a unique challenge for some athletes. But in terms of the sports overall, um, and I've worked in my private practice with professional soccer players, professional tennis players, even pro golfers, you know, a wide variety of athletes, and they do share a lot of similar challenges. I think, you know, travel is, is, is difficult. Of course, right now, um, with uh, what's been happening in 2020, there's been maybe a little bit less travel for a lot of people, but anyone who's traveled knows that when you're on the road, you're staying at hotels, you're off of your normal schedule, that can really be difficult to maintain some normalcy and consistency with the way that you eat, especially when nutrition is so important for your ability to perform mentally and physically and to reduce your injury risk and properly recover from the wear and tear that you're putting on your body. 
Yeah. Uh, you said that you work with golf players as well. How does a golf player's nutrition differ from like a more high cardio sport like the NBA? Do they have to like be just as conscientious about their food choices or? Yeah, what's really interesting about sports, and I've worked with even like race race car drivers. I mean, that that one of the things that's really, as you would know, because of your interest in uh, mental performance and sports psychology is that every single sport, I've even worked with um, pro gamers, e-sport athletes, um, professional poker players, that everybody wants mental focus, right? You really want your brain to be working optimally in terms of your ability to concentrate, think clearly and react properly. And so that applies to anyone who's trying to perform, um, even a student who's trying to perform well in school, right? So nutrition plays a really huge role in that, in your ability to optimize your brain function. And so that's a big part of how I work with people, in addition to maybe a more physically demanding sport, where it's a more endurance or strength-related type of um, performance. Perfect. On your website, you create videos about nutrition, and I saw a couple that looked interesting, and one of them was maximize your metabolism. What do you mean by that? So metabolism in a nutshell is really uh, how many calories we burn per day or maybe how efficiently we burn calories. So there are formulas out there that would estimate, for example, based on someone's age, height, weight, and physical activity level, how many calories their body's burning. And so there are ways to maximize that as far as um, making sure that your meal quality, meal balance, and meal timing best support your body's ability to um, power the activity of your cells. And so, for example, what can work against someone is if they go long periods of time without eating or they're not eating the right amounts of nutrients that their bodies need to perform in an optimal way. So when you're missing some of your nutrition or when your nutrition is delivered in an erratic or kind of a maybe um, varying way, it can really throw off your body's ability to efficiently you know, burn calories and, and create energy to allow you to perform both mentally and physically. So that's where sometimes people will you know, hear this um, advice to eat small frequent meals throughout the day. And that has been you know, advice that's been given primarily to help maximize um, your body's energy in terms of not letting too much time go by without fueling your cells. And so while it's not necessarily true that you need to eat every two to three hours, what I do think is a good rule of thumb is never let more than about five hours go by without eating something. So if you really want to maximize your body's ability to burn calories and to create fuel to power your cells, you really want to keep that nutrition coming in on a very consistent, even basis throughout the day, especially during your more active hours of the day. You said try to eat at least five hours every five hours. Does that mean what about when you're asleep? Or is that the one exception? Yeah, during your waking hours, I should say, right? So you definitely don't need to get up in the middle of the night to eat. But during the hours that you are awake, and hopefully you're also getting good quality sleep of, you know, seven to nine hours a night. Um, but during the hours that you are awake, I think it's a good rule of thumb to try to eat breakfast within about an hour of waking up and then do not let more than about five hours go by in between meals. Okay. 
Does having a bad metabolism mean you're at a disadvantage then? Well, yeah, because um, so for example, if you are not maximizing your metabolism, then you may have a energy shortfall. Meaning, let's say that you go in, I, I know I've worked with high school athletes as well. And um, the timing of your training sessions may not really align well with the timing of your meals. So sometimes I've seen athletes go into a training session or a practice session where they're not properly fueled. And I think everyone's probably experienced that where you just don't have the energy that you need to be able to perform. And you just feel almost like you're walking in quicksand. You know, it's just such a struggle doing an activity that if you were properly fueled, if you had had some pre-exercise or pre-practice uh, um, nutrition, you would be able to power through very easily. So that would be an example of where you're just not able to meet the energy demand that you're putting on, trying to put on your body at that time. How can you control your metabolism and have a better one if it's so important? So again, the consistency of your eating pattern is, is really the key to it. So if you're eating on a regular schedule, um, sometimes when I work with athletes one-on-one, -on -one, again, it could be high school, college athletes, or even professional athletes, part of what we work on is their timing of their meals. So we make sure that prior to a practice session or a training session, they may eat a snack um, or say a mini meal within an hour of the start of that or maybe a couple hours before, depending on the composition of that meal. And then we make sure that fairly soon after the training session or the performance, they eat what we call a recovery meal. So they're replenishing nutrients and giving their bodies the raw materials needed for the repair and healing of that sort of, um, you know, stress that they just put on their body through the training or through the performing. So it's important to make sure that you um, are really keeping in mind when you think about, well, what's my day going to be tomorrow? You know, what time do I have to be in class or what time do I have practice or what time am I going to go play, you know, this game that you're thinking ahead and planning ahead and how you're going to properly fuel the activity of that day. Got it. Um, what do you think about eating and drinking only green foods and drinks? Well, I think you'd be missing out on a lot of nutrition if you only ate green foods and drinks. So while green foods, you know, from spinach and kale or even green fruits like green apples and kiwi are very, very nutritious, they just don't have all of the nutrients that your bodies need. So it would be important to eat a wider variety of foods and make sure that you're getting all the nutrients that you need so there's no shortfall because when you're eating foods that are very, very healthy for you, but you're missing out on other foods that are important, you're, you know, maybe feeling um, better in some ways, but you can end up feeling worse in other ways. So for example, I'll give you an example. I've had um, athletes I've worked with where they don't eat very many greens. And so once they understand the importance of greens, as far as the nutrients they provide that support your immune system and help with anti-inflammation in the body, they maybe start eating more greens, but because they're so focused on the greens, they forget to eat enough protein or they forget to eat enough carbohydrate. So while they're getting more nutrition in one way, they're getting less nutrition in another way. And with, when it comes to nutrition, balance is always the goal. So our bodies pretty much love balance. You know, if you think about even just with hydration, if we're dehydrated, we're thirsty, we may not be able to control our body temperature very well. That can be a very dangerous situation to get dehydrated. 
when you're overhydrated, you feel kind of waterlogged, you're having to run to the restroom all the time, you've given your body more than it really needs at one time. So the idea of balance is the just right area where you're giving your body everything it needs in the right amounts at the right times. There's no shortfall and there's no surplus. And with nutrition, that's always the goal. Sometimes it can be challenging for athletes of any age to figure out how to do this on their own. And that's where uh, working with a sports dietitian can really come in handy, even for a high school athlete. Since greens are important, but younger athletes shy away from those, it feels like unappetizing to them. What are some of those greens and how can they implement it into their diet? So if you like smoothies, you can easily blend spinach or kale into a smoothie and you really won't even know it's there, honestly. I mean, it's not going, it's not going to um, uh, change the, the, the flavor of a smoothie. So if you don't really like spinach, like say a spinach salad, if you wouldn't eat that, you may find that you really like adding a handful of spinach into a smoothie that's made with say um, bananas and berries and other ingredients. And um, that's one way to get them in. Um, also, I think it's good to experiment with different ways of cooking. So for example, some people, maybe the only time that they've tried Brussels sprouts was boiled and they were kind of, you know, unappetizing. But if they have oven roasted Brussels sprouts, they may find that they really love them because oven roasting a vegetable brings out its natural sweetness and really changes the texture and the flavor of that vegetable. So I would say stay open to trying new ways of um, uh, of preparing or cooking different green foods to see if maybe you actually like one way better than another. I mean, broccoli is another good example. A lot of people tell me that they don't like raw broccoli or steamed broccoli, but they actually love broccoli that's been sauteed in olive oil with maybe some seasonings, and that's actually something that they look forward to eating. So um, keep an open mind and open taste buds. Yeah, thanks for that. Another one of your videos was Fiber is Fabulous, and why is that? So fiber is a type of carbohydrate that we really don't digest and absorb in the same way as other carbohydrates. So for example, when we eat, um, if you say, say you eat a banana, there's natural sugar in the banana that you're going to break down and absorb from your digestive tract into your bloodstream. And that um, is going to help give you fuel or energy to power the activity of your cells. Fiber stays in our digestive tract and inside the GI tract, it actually does some really important things. It helps to uh, remove waste from our body. It also helps to kind of exercise the muscle of the digestive tract to keep it strong and healthy. And it also helps to feed the good bacteria that live in our digestive tract that are associated with our healthy immune function and even our mood. So when we eat more fiber, um, it really helps keep our whole body from inside out a lot healthier overall. And um, it also is, can be very filling. So if you have a particularly high fiber food, let's say um, like a black bean soup or something like that, it's going to keep you fuller longer because fiber helps to slow down the rate of digestion and absorption. So when you have a higher fiber meal, you get almost more of a time-released delivery of the other nutrients in that meal into your body over a longer period of time. And that results in a more even sustained energy versus kind of a quick burst of energy followed by a crash that you might experience if you just had like a high sugar processed food. So fiber is um, something that can help us with our overall energy, 
our immune system, our digestive health. Um, and it's one nutrient that most Americans fall short on. So when we look at the amount of fiber that we want people to have per day versus the amount that most people consume, most people are maybe getting about half of the amount of fiber that they really need. Um, one of the best ways to hit the target would be to just simply eat more fruits and vegetables because those are natural sources of fiber and they provide lots of other benefits too. So you're kind of getting a double benefit. What are some other foods besides beans that have fiber? And also, should we be eating fiber every meal and how much of it? Yeah, so the recommended fiber intake is about 25 grams per day. And so to put that in perspective, um, most fruits and vegetable servings, which a serving would be about one cup, which is about the size of a tennis ball or probably handful for most people. Um, most servings of fruits and vegetables are gonna give you somewhere between three and six grams of fiber out of that 25 gram uh, amount. So if you're eating plenty of fruits and vegetables, you can see that that would add up over the course of a day. And then also other foods um, besides beans would be whole grains like brown rice instead of white rice or um, oatmeal is another good source. And then uh, nuts and seeds, you know, so if you snack on almonds or if you add walnuts to your oatmeal or pumpkin seeds, those are other good sources. Most plant foods that are unprocessed are going to be good sources of fiber. Perfect. What are some diets that student athletes can look into and maybe you recommend or should they just be eating in moderation and just regularly? Yeah, I don't recommend a specific diet per se. Um, I think that word diet is kind of tricky because technically diet can mean just an eating pattern. But into a lot of people, diet implies a restrictive eating pattern or a temporary eating pattern that you would kind of go off and go on a diet. It's much more important to develop healthy habits that you can really stick with, that you can consistently maintain over a longer period of time. So one way to do that, you know, again, it, it, your meal timing is important to not get let long stretches go by without eating. And when you do eat, to try to choose more healthy, naturally nutrient-rich whole foods over processed foods. So for example, for breakfast, instead of having a sugary cereal or say a muffin or a pastry, it would be much better to have a smoothie that's made with, you know, like we just said, maybe a handful of spinach and some fruits and you can throw in a protein source and maybe some um, almond butter or peanut butter. That would be a much better breakfast than that processed um, food breakfast. And then for, you know, when you're on, on the go, instead of getting fast food, which is much more processed and lower in nutrients, and lower in fiber to try something like even a Chipotle, which is, you know, when you go down the line at Chipotle, you can see that your food is much more, um, uh, I think, closer to homemade. So when you're, let's say, building a bowl and you can choose brown rice and black beans and veggies and guacamole, you know, you're getting much more nutrient rich food than you would say from um, a fast food restaurant. So the choices that you make, I really feel like it's not, the goal isn't to be perfect or to be um, trying to never eat sort of treats or splurge foods, but the idea is about 80% of the time to really maximize nutrition by making healthier choices and then allow yourself some, you know, normal splurges about 20% of the time. And if you can do that, which is pretty maintainable consistently, you can really create a very healthy pattern that can help you perform well mentally and physically, keep you 
healthier overall and um, uh, even support your immune system, which is really important right now. Yeah. So out of, out of some of the athletes you work with or you know of, have any of them ever tried like diets like the ketogenic diet or have they just stayed away from that? Well, it depends on the sport. Um, I would say that a keto diet, it's not encouraged for athletes to follow a keto diet overall um, because a keto diet, technically the majority of the calories come from fat. So uh, an actual keto diet, about 75 to 90% of the calories come from fat. And fat is not a great fuel source for powering physical activity. Carbohydrates really are our best fuel source for, for that purpose. So the keto diet limits carbohydrates to only about 5% of the total calories, which is very, very low. So I have uh, seen athletes try a paleo diet, which is also a little bit lower in carbs than most athletes need, depending on the sport, and a little bit higher in fats and proteins. Um, I actually have had athletes come to me who are following a paleo diet and really not performing well and also feeling... Um, a bit out of sorts mentally, you know, that when it, when your diet is, is off and it's not quite in balance with your body's needs, you can experience side effects like irritability and, um, you know, where you just feel on edge or you feel very, um, you know, like you're, you're, you're maybe reacting to very small things in a bigger way. Uh, maybe you're not sleeping well, it's harder to focus or concentrate. So what I have found is that correcting that imbalance, and really helping an athlete meet his or her needs um, can eliminate those kind of unwanted side effects. So one of the best things you can do to figure out if any sort of eating pattern is right for you is to listen to your body. If your body is telling you that you're, you have lingering thoughts of food or you're still feeling hungry or you don't quite feel uh, satisfied, you don't really feel energized, or you're feeling irritable, or you're not sleeping well, those are all red flags that the eating pattern is out of balance and that something is off that you need to correct. If you listen to your body, won't most younger athletes just want to go for those sweets and chocolates? <laughs> that's a great question, but actually that's more coming from your mind. Um, your body really wouldn't tell you just to eat a bunch of sweets and chocolate or processed foods or fast food. That's really more conditioning from our, our mind, meaning that, you know, we have learned that those foods are, you know, they're tasty for sure, um, but they really don't do a very good job at giving us energy, fuel, nutrition, um, at reducing our ability, you know, or reducing our um, uh, risk of injury. So I think that one of the things that's important is to try to tune into when you want a certain food, is this your body telling you it wants that food or is this your mind telling you it wants that food? And sometimes we tune out our body and we let our minds overpower our choices. And that can lead to, um, you know, feeling out of, you know, out of balance in physical ways that, that maybe you could correct by, by kind of combining the, the mind and body connection. Um, so for example, if you, you know, it's not realistic to go through the rest of your life never having something sweet, but it makes a whole lot more sense to have something sweet maybe at the end of a really healthy meal versus instead of a healthy meal. Yeah, agreed. 
what are some underrated foods to eat and why are they so good? Is it because of their versatility or something else? Well, it's funny that, you know, you mentioned we've already talked about beans. I think they're actually one of the most underrated foods, um, nutritionally speaking, because they are incredibly good for you. They have plant protein, they have fiber, they have B vitamins, which help support energy needs. They have healthy carbohydrates. They have antioxidants. Um, they're also very affordable. They're readily available and they're really, really versatile in terms of how you can use them. So um, I would say that's one food that I feel like, you know, people don't really think of as a superfood because, you know, it's not exotic, it's not expensive, it's not hard to find like a lot of other superfoods that have been, you know, trendy in the past five years. But it really, they, they are, um, I think, a staple that should be incorporated into everyone's diet. So you could add, you know, beans to a smoothie, you can make tacos with them, you can make soup with them, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can use them. In fact, you can even use them in desserts. Um, maybe some people listening to this have heard of black bean brownies, but, you know, beans themselves don't have a really strong flavor. So they can be pureed and added to a number of different things. I've actually made, you know, blended them into smoothies, which may sound gross, but it's actually really good because, you know, they, the smoothie still tastes like a sweet smoothie, but the beans just add kind of a rich, thick texture and they add a lot of nutrition. I've even made bean puddings, you know, so there's lots of ways to use them. Um, around the globe, you know, beans are one of the few foods that's eaten in almost every culture. So those are great. Um, but, you know, the fruits and veggies, what's important with those is to try to aim for variety because the nutrients that you would get from, say, one type of vegetable like broccoli are different from what you'd get from tomatoes or mushrooms or onions or others. So when you mix up the variety, you're actually kind of exposing your body to a much broader spectrum of nutrients and that's better protection um, that your body gets in terms of, uh, again, wear and tear from the exercise or even your immune function. Yeah. Is meal prepping good and is it reasonable for a younger kid or would you rather them cook something more fresh? That's a good question too because it kind of depends on how you define meal prepping. Um, when I think about meal prepping, I think about maybe pre-preparing or pre-cooking some components of meals that can be stashed in the refrigerator so they're ready to go and you can assemble your plate using those foods. So for example, maybe you pre-cook some vegetables, um, either sauteing them or, or oven roasting them or grilling them. And so they're ready to eat, they're pre-cooked and they're in a, you know, a, maybe a glass container with a lid on it in the refrigerator. So all you have to do is pull them out and either reheat them or eat them, you know, chilled. And then you can do the same for protein sources. You can do the, you know, same for carbohydrates like cooking sweet potatoes ahead of time or brown rice and things like that. So if you're pre-preparing those foods, it can, on a day that you have a little bit more time, maybe on a weekend day, it can maybe help during the week when you're short on time and you really don't have time to cook, but you're hungry and then those foods are already right there and ready to go. So that can be a great strategy for, for versus let's say if you're hungry and you don't have time to cook, you might be more apt to just grab a bag of chips or grab something that's faster, that's less healthy for you. So if you have the time and the ability to, you know, get to the market or have your, your parents help with purchasing those foods and cooking them ahead of time and stashing them in the fridge, so they're ready to go. That may actually help you kind of eat healthier throughout the week when you're more busy. 
Um, but if that's not possible, there are some really quick kind of what I would call shortcut meals that you could make that are maybe 15 minutes or less where you can still make a healthy meal um, without having to spend a whole lot of time. Yeah, everybody thinks protein is good for muscles and for energy. Are there bad sources of protein? Well, um, I think there, there, there are some that I would either limit or avoid for sure. And those would be highly processed meats, um, things like pepperoni and sausage and bacon. The, those are considered um, uh, processed meats because they're not just cooked meat, they're meat that has had say preservatives and other things added to them to um, uh, you know, extend their, their, their shelf life. And that can add some things to the product that are less healthy for the body. So I would say that those would either be foods that you'd wanna avoid or really limit to just kind of um, every once in a while foods. So you really wanna get your proteins from very fresh, lean proteins. Now that can either be plant protein, like again, beans are a good option or lentils, or even like maybe a veggie burger that's made with um, pea protein, which is comes from yellow split peas. Um, or it can be an animal protein that's a higher quality animal protein, let's say chicken breast or you know salmon, something like that. So the, the meats that are much more processed are the ones that I would say are on the list of um, ones that really aren't as healthy for your body. Everybody thinks that chicken, broccoli, and rice are a good combination. Can you give us another few meals that are similar to that and why they're so good? Yeah. So um, if you're if you're going to, you know, what's nice about chicken, broccoli and rice is that it has a nice balance where you're getting vegetables, you're getting protein, you're getting healthy carbs. You can also if you're cooking the broccoli with, let's say, extra virgin olive oil, you're also getting some healthy fat and you can season that by adding herbs and spices, which add flavor and aroma and color to that meal, but also actually add bonus nutrients. So chicken, broccoli, and rice with olive oil and herbs would be a pretty balanced meal, especially if your portions of the, vet, of the broccoli are you know, at least one cup or a handful, again, about the size of a tennis ball or maybe even a little bit more. Um, but to kind of keep with that same structure, okay, you wanna try to think of you know, your meals in that same um, sort of four to five step process. Number one, vegetable. So that can either be salad or a cooked vegetable. Number two, a protein source. So um, instead of chicken, it could be um, eggs, for example. Um, it could be a plant protein like beans or lentils. Um, you wanna have that healthy carb. So instead of the brown rice, it could be sweet potato or cooked potatoes or quinoa or um, uh, something like a, a healthier pasta. And then you wanna have that healthy fat. Olive oil really is the best fat to cook with. Again, you can saute vegetables in it or you can toss the vegetables in the olive oil and roast them in the oven. Um, another good fat source would be avocado. So avocado or guacamole added to a meal. And then again, that fifth piece would be the herbs and spices to season and flavor your meals because no one wants to have bland, plain you know, uh, meals. So for example, with eggs, you know, if, if you're looking for something quick, and you're making a, a meal with just a, some, a scramble, let's say, with eggs and veggies with a side of avocado and maybe a side of potatoes or even um, a side of um, uh, fruit. 
that would be a pretty quick and easy meal that you could put together and you could add herbs and spices to it to give it lots of flavor. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, I know we touched on this before and you said like another way to make unattractive foods like veggies, you would want to put them in smoothies. Are there any other ways besides combining foods that you like and the ones that aren't as attractive to really put those into your diet? Well, I had mentioned different cooking methods, and I think that, you know, it's fun to experiment actually with different ways of cooking vegetables. Um, so, for example, you know, just simply sauteing a vegetable, like I'll, I'll take kale, for example. A lot of people tell me they don't like kale salad or kale raw, but then when they try sauteing kale in olive oil with some garlic and some herbs, they love it. Or maybe they try... Um, making kale chips when you roast the kale in the oven and it gets really crispy. Um, so I would say to experiment with different ways of cooking things. But I will say oven roasting, if you take, you know, I mentioned Brussels sprouts, but even cauliflower, um, there's all different kinds of veggies that you can just toss in a little olive oil, put on a baking sheet, roast in the oven, um, maybe for about 20 minutes or, you know, depending on the vegetable until it's, until it's pretty cooked. Uh, and, and it can completely transform the flavor of a vegetable. Like carrots is another good example. A lot of people tell me they don't love raw carrots. They find them kind of bland, um, or when they bite into them, it kind of hurts their gums or their teeth because they're so hard. But if they've ever tried oven roasted carrots, they kind of melt in your mouth. They're really soft. They're really um, sweet. They're really flavorful. It completely transforms the carrot. So be open-minded to trying some new ways of... Um, of eating those foods. Yeah. Um, I saw that you have a lot of articles on health.com as well. Is there anything you would want to address from there? So, so yeah, so health.com is a, a website associated with the health magazine. And if you go on to health.com there, and you're particularly interested in nutrition, there is a section on nutrition that you can search on. Um, I write usually, you know, as much as once a week for the site, sometimes a little less depending on the month. Um, but I, I tend to write articles for the website about things that are trending or maybe new research or um, uh, questions like kind of questions that people are asking. So, for example, uh, right now, a lot of people are asking about, you know, should, you know, what foods can you eat to help support your immune system? So I wrote an article about that or I might address a certain kind of diet that is becoming trendy and maybe the pros and cons of that diet and kind of bottom line on you should should you follow it or not follow it or try it or not try it. So there's a really wide variety of information on there um, kind of trying to um, address what people may be searching for on Google or, you know, what people, what kinds of um, things people may be seeing on social media that are causing them to have questions that they need an expert opinion on. Yeah, of course. Um, this is a vague, broad question, and you can expand on it however you want. How do you eat for optimal well-being? Or in other words, what is the one best piece of nutritional advice you can give? So the, the best thing, I think, is to, is to eat foods as close to their natural state as possible. So, for example, if you ate a blueberry muffin that was made with mostly sugar and white flour with a few blueberries thrown in, that's going to be a lot different from eating, say, oatmeal with blueberries and nuts in it. So when you eat foods that are really uh, whole, what we call whole foods, meaning that not much has been done to the food, 
from the way it was grown to the way it gets on your plate or in your bowl, um, that's much healthier for you because it retains a lot more nutrients and other health protective compounds that help support our mental and physical well-being. Uh, processed foods, you know, that have been stripped of nutrients or had additives put into them that may be less nutritious or may even create um, inflammation in the body or um, create other issues are the foods that you want to minimize. So again, it's not that you should never have those foods ever, ever, ever. It's just that you, majority of the time, again, that 80-20 rule, about 80-20, about 80% of the time, if you're eating really healthfully and about 20% of the time, you're eating more kind of splurge foods. That is really one of the best things that you can do because um, nutrition is very unique in that there's nothing that can really take its place. So, um, a lot of people, I don't know if they really realize that phrase, you are what you eat, is really true because every day we are repairing, healing, and maintaining cells in our body based on the foods that we eat. So even if you train really hard and you have a really good mental attitude and maybe you get enough sleep, if you don't have good nutrition, you're missing a huge piece of the puzzle because the foods that you eat provide the actual building blocks that make cells from muscle cells to immune cells to joint cells. So you're actually transforming the food you eat into the tissues in your body and helping to transform some of the energy or the, the fuel that you eat to help power the activity of your cells. So the quality of what you eat is really critical. Um, what I find with a lot of younger athletes that I work with is that they have kind of, um, you know, gravitated more towards the foods that they like versus the, the foods that maybe are the most nutritious. But I will say that in almost every case, when I've had athletes try new foods, they become really surprised to find how much they like some of the foods that they really didn't think they were going to like. So for example, I had a work with a young soccer player who pretty much just ate like, um, you know, donuts and, uh, you know, Cheetos and, you know, a lot of processed foods and really didn't eat hardly any whole foods. And when we did some just trying out of different things, like this athlete had actually never had certain fruits and vegetables in their entire life had actually never tried raspberries, had never tried pineapple, had never tried kale, and um, ended, ended up becoming like really pleasantly surprised at how good a lot of those foods were, and then started eating those foods on a regular basis. What happened then is they noticed how much better they felt, how much better they performed, how much better mentally focused they were, and started really uh, gravitating toward those foods now instead of those older, you know, that old pattern of the kind of the, the processed foods. So, you know, it's never, it's never too early. It's never too late to try to change, um, your eating pattern. And all you have to do is be open-minded and willing to try some different things. And if you try something and you really, really don't like it, I don't recommend forcing yourself to eat it just because it's healthy, but I do think it's a good idea to maybe try it again in another way. Um, so for example, um, you know, some, some athletes I've worked with, maybe they've tried, uh, a vegetable, you know, by itself, but then 
they, and they didn't really like it. But when they tried it in a stir fry or when they tried it in a stew, they really liked it. So just being open-minded and trying different things is probably one of the best things that you can do to start to change over to a healthier pattern. Absolutely. Well, those are all my questions. And I was wondering if you had anything else you wanted to share with the audience. I think, yeah, the last thing that I would say, and thanks for letting me um, talk with you today, is that, again, nutrition, it, it can be very confusing because there's so much information, especially on social media and on the internet. It can be difficult to know what's right and what's not right or you know what to do and what not to do. I think it, it's really important to try to find an expert to you know get your information from because there's a lot of information out there that maybe is well-meaning, you know, where the person sharing that information um, doesn't really even know that the information that they're sharing isn't accurate, but they share it, you know, anyway. And the reason that that they don't know it's inaccurate is because they don't have the background or the credentials or the expertise to know if it's accurate or not. So when you get information from sources that really aren't experts, you can maybe end up getting misinformation. So, you know, that's where I've had some athletes. I've had some athletes tell me that they'd heard you should never eat anything white, that white foods are bad for you. And that's definitely not true. There are many, many white foods that are incredibly good for you. And there's no reason to eliminate uh, certain white foods like cauliflower, white potatoes, bananas. You know, there's so many white foods that are actually super nutritious. So just be kind of cautious where you get your nutrition information from and really maybe try to seek out sources of nutrition information that are either written by experts or that are true, you know, people that have, like me, that have degrees and have experience working with athletes um, versus someone who's maybe just more of an enthusiast. So the analogy I sometimes like to use is I love pets, um, but I'm not a veterinarian. So I can, you know, love pets and maybe know a little bit more about pets than the average person, but that does not make me an expert in the healthcare of pets or how to take care of pets. So nutrition is very similar. You really want to make sure that you're getting your advice from someone who's highly trained and really knows um, how to help you navigate through some of the hype and misinformation and what's really healthful and, and accurate. Interesting. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, well, thank you for being on here and sharing all your expertise with everyone and yeah yeah thank you i really appreciate you inviting me and um of course I, yeah and I, I look forward to if anyone is listening and they want to reach out um i maybe you can share my information of how to find my website or my social media and i'm happy to mm -hmm. answer any questions that anyone has Thanks for listening to the Minasan Sports Podcast. Before you leave, please show some love for the podcast by subscribing, liking, and commenting. Stay tuned for next month's podcast with a new guest speaker.